Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. We are nice to see you all. So that's who I can see. Also nice to see the white circles with the with the white thing underneath. It's also very great. You're looking good. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's good to see everyone. So today we're going to be continuing in our exploration here of Parsha Snoyach. <clears throat> and um, what we're up to is... Um, is Pasuk uh, Yudches, verse 18 in chapter 6, Perikvav Pasuk Yudches. We spent the last couple of times talking about Hashem's uh, declaration that He's going to bring the Mabel. He's going to bring the Mabel. Last week we spoke about even the term Mabel. What does the term Mabel mean? And we learned a little bit about what's implied in the term and its, its, its ramifications. It's very, very significant very significant ramifications. Today we're going to go on to the next verse, which presents something which the Mepharshim find very enigmatic, for good reason. Pasuk says, And I will uphold, this is the way we would usually translate this phrase, I will uphold my covenant with you. You will come to the Teva, you and your children, your wife, your, wife, your son's wives with you from all the living things, etc. The, er, the birds, the animals, you'll bring food. And Noach did everything that Hashem said. So HaKadosh ha- ha- Baruch Hu said, he had already given, previous to Pasuk Yudzayin, he had already given Noach the instruction to build the Teva. Hashem said, I'm going to bring a Mabel. So I'm going to uphold my covenant with you and you're going to come to the Teva, you and your children, etc. What's the problem? What's the obvious problem that this verse poses? Uphold what covenant? What covenant? Where was there a covenant that had been made with, with Noah that should now be referenced? Oh, you'll come to the Teva. I'm going to uphold my covenant with you. There is no bris. We have never had a reference to a bris, to a covenant, previous to what we have here. And so how does the Torah, how does Hashem say, I will uphold my covenant with you? What is going on? Rashi addresses this partially, one might say. I mean, he addresses it totally. I shouldn't say Rashi addresses it partially. Rashi addresses it totally, but explicitly he's only addressing it partially. What does Rashi say? He needed a covenant about the fruits that they shouldn't rot, and spoil. And he also needed a bris that the wicked people of his time shouldn't kill him. What's Rashi saying? You think it's such a great idea for Noach to build a teva, to bring in all the animals in the world and to bring in them food, for them food? Number one, is this even going to work? The mabul is going to last a long time, right? The, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It stormed subsequent to the rain for 150 days. Noach was in the Teva for a full year, as we will see as we proceed in the Parsha. That's a lot of fruits and veggies. A lot of them. And I don't know about you, but mine don't last a year. I always thought it was only mine, right? But I've heard from other people that theirs also don't last for a full year. 
I don't know, maybe in a teva would last. I never tried. But the, 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 um, the, the notion that they'd be able to stockpile enough food for everybody for a year and that the food would last for the year? Whoa. Like, is this going to even work? Another thing, an external consideration. That's an internal consideration. An external consideration, which we will come across at different times. Rishoyim Shabadar, the wicked people of the generation. So, is Nayach the Meshuganer? Right, you know, by the way, that was Rav Nayach Weinberg would often tell the story about his plans that he had, that he was going to start his yeshiva to make people, you know, be able to come access to Torah to make Shuva. And he would say, when he would say over the story, always people said, oh, there's Nayach the Meshuganer. There's Nayach the crazy man. Like, what does he think? He's going to make a fabric. He's going to make a Balchuva factory. Right? That's what they, that, that, that was the way he was derided. Nayach the Meshuganer. Well, Nayach the Meshuganer, the original Nayach the Meshuganer was not Rav Nayach Weinberg. Right? Whose, whose impact was biblical. Right? But it was a different Nayach. And Nayach, that Nayach was also viewed by people as a Meshuganer. However, and it was probably true in both cases, but it was certainly true of the biblical Noach, it wasn't enough for people to say, ah, he's nuts. He's saying the world is coming to an end. Let him build his teva. No. You see, because Noach was, was, was touching on a nerve, and the nerve was that the world was self, self-destructing. And people don't like to hear that. And so if it was going to go down you could be sure they were going to make sure that he was going to go down with them. And when you pass by the guy in the park with the sandwich board saying the world is coming to the end, to an end, right? if you can laugh without a pang, so then you say, eh, and you go by. right? Maybe you th- throw 50 cents into his guitar case if he happens to have one open, right? the building fund right? for the ark. But if he's not, if if the person's bringing up something that you essentially worry about, that annoys you, that concerns you, so then it's not enough to dismiss. You need to fight. And one thing which we're going to find at more than one juncture is that what Nayak did wasn't just, um, I, I don't know how to call it, wasn't just different than the culture, it was counter to the culture. It was an act of aggression against the culture. Yes, Noach was trying to get them to change, perhaps, but the people of the generation took it personally, and they would want to kill him. Right? What are you saying? How dare you? And if you're going to go in, if you, if it's, well, when it started raining, right? Chazal say Noach walked into the Teva in the middle of the day. It was a miracle Hashem made for him that he was able to walk into the Teva in plain sight of all those other people. Who, were, who, who would have stood in the way and stopped him. So Noach says, you're asking me to do something, which number one, internally, I have no assurance of success. I'm supposed to go into the table with all these people for a year. I'm going to do all this work to build this table, to bring everybody in, to assemble food for a year. But you can't assemble food for a year. The food doesn't last. Number two, doing this is a dangerous venture. There are fanatics who are going to kill me. They're going to say, I'm a fanatic. They're going to kill me. They're not going to just wave with their hand, Nayach the Meshuganer. They're going to be aggressive against me. So Hashem said, I'm going to keep my deal with you. So what's Rashi addressing? He's addressing the content of the deal, not the background, really, of the deal, not the existence of the deal. 
He says, if Hashem's asking Noach to do something, to do something so dramatic, but Noach looks at it and he says, it's doomed. So Hashem says, I'm asking you to do it. It's not doomed. Don't worry. The food will last. Don't worry. The people won't attack you to the point where it's going to make this process not go forward. You'll be matzliach. You'll be successful. You'll get into the teva. You'll survive in the teva. It's going to be good. That's the bris. That's the deal that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made with... That's the deal that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made with Noach. It was implicit in the commandment that there had to be such a deal. There had to be such a promise. But again, Rashi's not telling you when it was made. When was this bris made? Did Hashem say it before? Vakimosias brisi sounds like it is upholding an existing covenant. I will uphold my covenant that I had made with you. That's what it sounds like. Now, it's not ironclad that that's what it means. Vakimosi can also, you know, in, in, in Hebrew grammar, we have a concept of the vav hamehapeches. The vav hamehapeches is that you could put the va in the beginning of the word, and it can take a past tense and make it into a future tense. Now here, in a certain sense, that's certainly what's happening. He, I will uphold my covenant. But it could be deeper. That uphold doesn't mean an existing covenant. It could mean, I'm now making a covenant with you. And that's the covenant. I'm making it, and I will sustain it. I will uphold it. So that you will come to the teva. You don't have to worry about it working. You don't have to worry about you're not getting into the teva. You'll get in there. You'll survive. It'll be great. That's Rashi's approach. The teva was not a guaranteed success. Ibn Ezra, let's go further. Ibn Ezra says, This is a sign. Hashem promised him that he's going to be okay, that he and his children won't die in the Mabel. The Ibn Ezra is really pulling back from Rashi. Rashi's getting granular. You know, you're going to go into the Teva, but I still don't understand how it'll work. How am I going to get in there? Will everything that I'm sp- that's going to be in there last to allow us to survive the year? Will we have enough food for a year that won't rot, that won't spoil? Ibn Ezra looks at it broader, more generally. Will Noah make it through? He's going to be tossed around in this boat. Will he make it through this cataclysmic storm? Hashem promised him that that would happen. Now, the Ibn Ezra, however, deals head-on with the problem, the technical problem. Where was the promise? But even if it's not found explicit in the Pasuk, it could be Hashem made the promise already. Okay? Okay, everyone, you know, first of all, welcome everyone for the, for the Shear. Okay, we're, we're doing our usual stage, which is, stage one is looking at the hard reading of the verse to see the technicalities, to address the technicalities, and then Mir Hashem, after we see the general, the, the specifics rather, we're going to look at what the concept here is, which is, it's a dramatic concept we're going to be learning today. So number one is, says the Ibn Ezra, what covenant? Remember, yeah, I'm going to uphold my covenant. What covenant? Where was there ever a covenant? Says the Ibn Ezra, very important rule in reading the Torah, that sometimes the Torah will allude to something which happened before without having reported it when it originally happened. That covenant that I made with you. What covenant? It's okay. I made a covenant with you. I just It wasn't recorded in the original account. I'm referencing, I'm referencing it now. So now you know 
that it did happen. Even though it wasn't explicitly said originally, and isn't it beautiful, by the way, the way these things work? The Ibn Ezra brings a proof from this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha. Parsha's Dvorim. In this week's Parsha, Parsha's Dvorim, Moshe Rabbeinu is repeating the stories of the Jewish people, the story of the Jewish people to us. And of course, how fitting it is one of the master strokes of the Jewish calendar is that we always read Parshas Dvarim as on Shabbos Chazon, the Shabbos before Tisha B'av. Always. No exceptions. If you don't trust me, ask Rabbi Heber. Um, the, 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 we always read Parshas, uh, Parshas Dvarim on Erev Tisha B'av, on the Shabbos of Chazon, the Shabbos before Tisha B'av. And in Parshas Dvorim, lo and behold, what does Moshe Rabbeinu tell the story of? He tells the story of the Miraglim, of the spies. Which, when did that happen? On, on Tisha B'av. That was the original Tisha B'av, was the story of the Miraglim, where we balked at going to Eretz Yisrael, and we cried over going to Eretz Yisrael. And Chazal tells us, because you cried for nothing when I was planning to take you into Eretz Yisrael, I've given you tears for generations that are real, for being sent out of Eretz Yisrael. Right? When you, we gave up the opportunity when it was being handed to us, and now we turned away. So that's, the, that's what we read on Shabbos Chazon. However, what the Ibn Ezra is noting is that Moshe Rabbeinu tells the story, and he says, you came, you came to me, and you said, let's send people before us to spy out the land. And I said, good idea, and I sent spies. What's the problem? The problem is that in Parsha Shlach, where we originally read the story of the spies, it says no such thing. It just says, Hashem says to Moshe, Shlach Lecha Anoshim, send for yourself spies. It doesn't refer to the Jewish people coming and asking for it. What's going on? Says the Ibn Ezra, that is a, an example of this principle, that the Torah doesn't always write every piece of the narrative as it happens. It could have happened, and we only discover it later. Says the Ibn Ezra, same thing here. Hashem established a covenant with Noach. He said, Noach, you're going to be okay. He didn't just give him instructions and say, build a teva. He said, Noach, I promise you, I'm making a covenant. If I'm asking you to go out on a limb, I'm asking you to dedicate years to building this teva, to assembling all the animal types and all of the food for them and everything else, I'm asking you to do something that's so countercultural, that's going to upset so many people, that's so risky. I'm telling you, you're going to be okay. Hashem said that to Noach. And now he's referring to that and he's saying, I will keep my word, I'll keep my covenant that I made with you. Vakimaisi means I will uphold the oath that I made before. That's what the Ibn Ezra says, interpretation one. Okay? So. We have now two possibilities. One possibility is that the Ibn Ezra, that, uh, is that right now is when he's establishing the bris. bris. He doesn't mean I'm going to uphold a previous covenant. I'm making a covenant right now with you. And the covenant, as Rashi says, is because of the risks inherent in being the one to undertake the teva. The risk of of the Bnei Ador. They, there's, a, there's a concern about whether they'll make it through because will the food last? Okay, Rashi. Ibn Ezra says, 
there was a pre-existing covenant. They had made a covenant already. Hashem didn't ask him to do this without assuring him that it would work. There was a covenant that was in place already, and he was saying, I'm going to fulfill that covenant. But now, continues the Ibn Ezra, with a third interpretation. There's going to be a very famous covenant around the Mabel, isn't there? You know that there's a bracha that you'll find in your sitter, in that page where they have all those special brachos that are listed. It's usually found in Sidurim, between Shachris and Mincha, a list of brachas. One of the brachas is, Baruch Atah Hashem Alekeinu Melech Elom Zecher Habris. Hashem who remembers the covenant. When do we make the bracha Zecher Habris? Not at a bris milah. When do we make it? It's also, by the way, those words are used in the bracha of Zichroina, Zecher Habris. But the, 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 on Rosh Hashanah. But when we make that bracha as a freestanding bracha, is when you see a rainbow, exactly right, when you see a rainbow after a storm. You see a rainbow in the clouds. So then we say, oh, blessed are you Hashem who remembers the bris. What was the bris? The bris hakeshes. The bris that the rainbow came to signify. What was the bris of the rainbow, the, that the rainbow signified? That HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'm not going to destroy the world again. You can understand that, you know, Noach would have had a question. And the question would be, so here I am. Rabbi Shalom, you are furious with the world. You want to destroy it. So what are you telling me to do? I should go, I should spend 120 years, perhaps, up to 120 years, building a teva, building an ark, to save the world. Wow. And then you're going to get upset again, and you're going to destroy it again. Right? Like, why should I do this? You're going you're gonna to see someone, right? You say, oh... You know, I, I'm sorry I knocked down your thing. I got upset. Rebuild it. How do I know you're not going to get upset again? There's kind of a, uh, a uh, very major disincentive. And by the way, this is not found remotely. We'll see later in the Parsha that when Neach comes out of the Teva, Hashem gives him a mitzvah of to be fruitful and multiply. And we'll see over there that part of the dialogue as is understood, as is amplified by Chazal and by the Rishonim, is that he said, why should I have children? Why should I try to produce, why should we try to produce and repopulate a world when we've seen the devastation? I mean, Hashem used the nuclear option in the Mabel. So why should we bother? Why should we do this again? It's only going to be destroyed. Hashem says, don't worry, the world will not be destroyed again. What you're creating will last. So it's not just later having children. <laughs> That's quote-unquote relatively the easy part. Noah went through this whole major, major avoda of building an ark, of filling an ark. I mean, the animals might have come, as we'll see, but the food didn't come by itself. Noah had to fill the ark with food for every species for a year. Whoa! And then, by the way, the food didn't deliver itself to the animals either. Noach was a zookeeper of the largest zoo in the universe, the only zoo in the universe, right? Mm-hmm. And 
for a year. He had to feed them. Right? Chazal described that by Yishor Ach Noach, by the time the year was finished, Noach was exhausted. It says he was vomiting blood. He, he, was, he, he spent all day, all night. Right? Some animals ate during the daytime. Some animals ate during the nighttime. Some animals wanted their omelets over easy. Some of them wanted them with mushrooms. Right? It was very, very complicated. I mean, this was not the, the Dunkin' Donuts drive through window. So, Noyach, to do this for a world that will last is one thing, says the, 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 the uh, Ibn Ezra. The bris, Fakimaisias brisi, is that here at the outset, before the Mabul even happens, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I will uphold a covenant with you. The covenant is going to be made later. It'll be for, but I'm telling you now as you're going in that when you come out, I'm going to promise and I'm going to establish a fixed covenant that that world is for keeps. Okay, so it's true right now. Noah's going to have to take Hashem's word for it. I mean, a covenant is always taking someone's word for it. But what the Ibn Ezra has done here is he's resolved what covenant we're referring to. There has been no covenant previously. And this is a strange way to say, I'm making a covenant. In fact, you might see this priest, sounds like upholding a covenant referenced elsewhere. So one shot the Ibn Ezra offered was there was a covenant that we were never told about and we're now being told about by virtue of the reference. But the other is that it's a very famous covenant. The covenant we'll have later. Remez Lakeshes. The Tam Bris, and the Ibn Ezra concludes and says, the term Bris means Haskama. It's an agreement. V'davar shabach rushnayim. A bris is by definition between two people, a choice of two people. V'umigzeres beru lochem ish. The term beru lochem ish, choose for yourselves a man. Bris is a bechira, a choice. V'amila besomuch uvemuchras shava. You might say bris sounds like it should always be connected to something. Right? Bris olam, bris melach, bris hakeshes. Grammatically, it sounds like it's a mechubar. It sounds like it's part of a part of a, a, a phrase. But he says no. It's used independently, muchras, and it's used besamach, and it's used attached. The chain shvis Yaakov uvenosav bashvis. The word shvis also has that same grammatical implication. Sometimes it's connected, like shvis Yaakov, the captives of Yaakov, and sometimes it's used freestanding with muchras shvis uvenosav bashvis. So he says, bris means a choice, where two people choose to come together. and some say shabris gvul karus. A bris is a line. A line, a cutting, a separation. Bris, as we know, bris mila is with a cutting. But we're going to see that there's a notion of a cutting, a having that's there in a bris. So the Ibn Ezra has said a mouthful. Pshat number one, it refers to a bris of before. Pshat number two, it refers to a bris of the future. And then he says, what does the term bris mean? A bris is an agreement, a choice, which is made by two. It's krusa ben shneem. That's one aspect, one possibility. And the second possibility is that it's a division, sort of like a dividing something in two, which we'll see more about. But for now, let us just also note that the Sforno goes with the Ibn Ezra's second interpretation, which is very novel. Bakimosias brisi, says the Svarno, it's not a upholding my bris of before, but achar hamabul, after the flood. 
It's referring to the bris, to the covenant that he'll make after the flood, which is referenced here in the next par- paragraph, where Noach, Hashem says to Noach, You'll see how many times it says bris in that paragraph. And it's a reference to the covenant that Hashem made that the world will last. So Noach, don't worry. Your investment of your blood, sweat, and tears in creating a remnant of this world will have long-term effects. The world, that world will never be destroyed. I'm telling you, I'm going to make a covenant afterwards, and that's the way it's going to be. So that's the, 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 these are the ways of looking at it that we have until this point. Let us go now into the Ramban. And the Ramban is going to open us up to a completely different view of what the bris is. And that is not going to be a fantastic understanding of bris. That will help us understand this verse. And that will help us understand to some degree the notion, Avol, what did you say this morning in davening? Avol anachnu amcha b'nei brisecha. We are your nation, Hashem. B'nei brisecha, the members of your covenant. You're a child, a Jewish boy, has a bris mila. We will, from this Bezos Hashem, gain a far greater understanding of the very concept of bris. What's the concept of a bris? We've been spending much of the time talking about the technicalities of when this bris was made, assuming that we know what a bris is. Ibn Ezra started to wander into what it is, and he says, oh, it's a choice that two make to bond to each other. Okay, that's nice. That's why we also call marriage a bris. Right? It's the choice of two people to bond to each other. Then he says, maybe it's a cut, a separation. Okay, hard. Ramban is going to be megale ofar meinenu. He's going to remove dust from our eyes and allow us to see a whole new understanding of bris. Radically delicious. Listen to the Ramban. He starts off, as is normal for the Ramban, quoting those who came before him. The Yoser Nachon B'derech Hapshat, I mean, he quotes the Ibn Ezra, I didn't, I didn't include the whole thing over here. When the Mabel comes, there will be a bris that will last with you. You will come to the Teva, you and your family, and two of every living thing. You'll live there, and you'll be able to emerge from there alive. A bris here the Ramban offers yet another interpretation of bris, but this one's not going to be the life-changing one. Soon we'll come to that. A bris is when Hashem makes a statement without conditions, an unconditional statement, without any condition, without any shiur, without anything held back. and He will fulfill it. Meaning, the Ramban is saying, similar to the concerns expressed by Rashi, and that is, is this going to work? Similar concerns expressed by the Ibn Ezra, is this going to work? Hashem says, I am giving you my word, it's going to work. Okay? And bris is an inviolate word of Hashem. And the word that anybody gives to someone is a bris. You can swear to somebody, but look, there's such a thing as hataras nedarim, what we learned about in last week's parsha and the parsha we read yesterday. You know, you can release yourself sometimes from vows. 
This bris lo tufar. Covenants aren't broken. Absolute unconditional. Okay, nice. But then listen to what the Ramban goes on to say. Valderech ha'emes. And on the path of truth. Now when the Ramban says the path of truth, the Ramban is speaking about Kabbalah. Okay? <laughs> He's speaking about Kabbalah. Okay, good, good, good. Listen carefully. And he says on a mystical level, on a deeper level, Habris me oilam hi. The bris is not something being established now. Right? The Ramban in the first part is dealing with the issue which we mentioned before, which everybody has. I'm upholding a bris. What bris? When was the bris? This bris is from the beginning of time. Vamila nigzeres min bereshis bara eloikim. The word bris is related to bara, which means creation. Vine brisi kimai briasi. My bris is like saying briasi, my creation. Vamila kimai smucha ki smucha leilamim shayu lefanenu yitzavishetakum v'tiyayimatzadik. He says the bris has a term of connection. As we said, the grammatical nature of it is that it sounds connected. And he says, because it is it is attached to the worlds that precede us. He's saying it's going to be with the tzaddik. The tzaddik is going to be the one with whom the bris, the Berea, will be fulfilled. And so it says later, and it says, and the wise will understand. So I want to share with you what it sounds like the Ramban is saying with mysticism, but then we're going to see from Parshanim, from commentaries who are far more straightforward, so to speak, not so deep and mystical, that they really understand it in the same way. And that is that a bris is like the term bria, brias, creation. Creation is when Hashem created the world, He was beginning a project. It had so many components, so many pieces. What was it all about? What Hashem is saying to Noah at this point in time is, my bris, creation implies a bris. I'm creating something, that means I want that something. Bris is the enterprise. I went into something. I went into it, and now I'm saying it's for you. My bris is with you. My entire Bria is with you. It's all about you. Now, is that novel? It may be a novel understanding of the word bris, connecting it to the word Bria. But conceptually, it's not novel. Because what's happening here? This is exactly, precisely what is happening here. And that is that the entire world is now being concentrated in one person, Noach. And in the enterprise which he is undertaking by God's command for the continuation of the world. To build a capsule known as the Teva that's going to salvage whatever is going to be for the future of the world, while everything else is going to be destroyed away by the Mabel. Noah is the future of the world. 
If we put in that, if we put in an aleph in that word, there would be no question as to what it meant. I will uphold my creation through you. Right? Imagine if that's what it said. Bria is creation. Briasi would be my creation. If the verse said, and I will uphold my creation through you, we, we would be already on to the next Pesach. Everybody would know exactly what it means. Creation is continuing through Noach. What's the delicious, the radically delicious explanation of the Ramban? Is that that's what the word Brisi means. Brisi is Briasi. My whole world, my whole creation. The establishment of a covenant is saying that it's all about you. You follow. It's all about you. Hashem's going to make a bris with Avram. What's the bris? I'm making you a covenant. I got lots of wonderful things to promise you. You're going to have Eretz Yisrael. You're going to be Jewish. I'm going to give you lots of mitzvahs. You got seven now. I just gave you an eighth. Right? And then you're going to have more. Much more to look forward to. Special to be part of the Jewish people. No. It's way, way more than that. I'm telling you, you are becoming the center point of the world. You're becoming the center point of the world. To be the bris means, I'm relying on you to be the tachlis habria, to be the purpose of the world. Or, let's say it differently, I'm relying on you to make the purpose of the world's creation come to pass. That's what it means to have a bris with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And by the way, we borrow that term when we have a bris with anybody. Everybody in the world created B'Tselem Elohim, created in the image of God, has to do their own creation. Everybody's got to make their own world. Okay, so it may not be as big as the universe, as the Rabbanu Shlala made it. But how many times do Chazal express to us the idea that, you know, you make one person, you made a world. Making that person could be giving birth to that person, making that person could be teaching that person, you know, helping that person get a start in life. One person is a world. The whole world was created from Adam. The whole world was recreated from Noach. Everybody's involved in creation. When you make a bris with somebody, it's not that you're promising somebody, it's not that you say, you know what, I'm going to share office space with you. Or look, I'm good at accounting, you're good at sales, we're, we're going to create a business together, we're going to sell vacuum cleaners. I'm saying to you, when I make a bris with you, I'm saying that what I am going to accomplish in this world, what I'm going to create in this world, I view you as the fundamental partner in. When Hashem made a bris with the Jewish people, that's what he said. Okay? Next time, you're at a bris, Bezos Hashem. And they make a bris. 
And not only do they make a bracha, who commanded us on the mila, which is on the, on the uh, cutting of the skin, which sounds just like that. Then, what does it say? Lachnisei, bless you Hashem, you command us, Lachnisei bebrisei shal Avinu, to bring him into the covenant of Avram Avinu. So we all wax emotional and sentimental when we hear that. Wow. This is a continuation of the covenant Hashem made with Avram. But think about it now. What does it mean? When Hashem did that, He said, you are my creation. You are my world. I'm relying on you to make the world be something. And now we just put another child in that category. Part of those, Amcha B'nei B'risecha, who's being relied upon for the entire future of creation. Listen now to the Malbim. Not mystical, although the Malbim was plenty mystical, but in his commentary, as you're going to see here, he's following his usual style, which is not mystical, not his occasional style, which is mystical, which is very, very clear reading of words, Vakimaisi. Achar sho'afer ato bris olam. He says, in a certain sense, I am violating my covenant with the world. Yitzayer, it has us imagine, Shashem koras brisim olam sheisharu chukei ateva chok olam Hashem made a covenant with the world that the world would last. K'may she'kostovim lebrisi yemem v'layla chukei shemayim v'arts leisamti. If not for my covenant that would continue day and night, I would not have established the laws of nature of the world. I didn't establish them for them to go down the drain. It seems like I'm breaking the bris because I'm destroying the world, but I'm going to sustain it through you. You enter the covenant of resurrecting the world, of creating the new world. The Malbim is also understanding that creation itself implies a bris. And he brings a pasuk that illustrates it. Imlo brisi which is a verse which is cited many times by Chazal to speak about the idea that it is the covenant that Hashem would have of day and night, the covenant of Torah. In some places they say the covenant of bris milah that keeps the world going, that makes the world worthy of continuation. And that's the idea. Hashem created the world for it to be something, for it to last. And now all those eggs are going into Noah's basket. The covenant which was implied in creation is now with you. The Nitziv says similarly the same thing. If I, if I gave a bracha to Adam and Chava to promulgate and to fill the world... That was a bris that I established with them. I was telling them that it was going to go someplace. I can't destroy it. I'm fulfilling it through you. And he goes on to cite the same verse of Imle Brisi Yaiman Valaila, Chukai Shemayim Varetz Leisamti. This bris will be maintained through you and that you will last. Okay, this might remind you, the Natsiv brings other comparisons, but it might remind you of the, the, the um, exchange between Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem at the time of the Cher HaEgel, for instance, where HaKadosh Baruch said, I'm going to destroy the people, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. So, so 
Rashi, Rashi brings, I'm going to destroy the Jewish people. Oh, but what about the covenant I made with the Ovis? Well, I'll, I'll fulfill it because you're a descendant of theirs, so I'm going to continue that covenant through you. So there'll be devastation. But the rebuilding will be a continuation still, a small sliver continuation. A little bit of what was there before will now be continued through you, Moshe. And that's what we're saying here as well. A little bit of the creation of the world will be continued through Noach. But the implied bris is bria, creation, the purpose of the world. I want. Yes. Uh, is this related to um, Yom Hashishi at all? Of course. But it depends what you mean. So, <laughs> if, if, yeah, you, you mean the Imla Brisi Yom that the world would wait until Torah was given on the 6th of Sivan? That's what you mean? Right. Yes. If the creation is contingent upon the Torah, it's not contingent upon, you know. Not that. Well, maybe it is. Yeah, it, it is. It is completely related, and it, it it dovetails with the things which we've seen before. Remember when Hashem gave the Torah? I'm getting a lot of static on the line. When Hashem gave the Torah, so He said, um, "Jewish people, you have to accept the Torah. Otherwise, I'm going to return the world to emptiness and nothingness." So, as we said a few weeks ago when we learned about this and we talked, we've been talking extensively about the relationship between Hashem Lamabul Yoshev between the generation of the Mabul and generation of the giving of the Torah if you think that is just bombastic that Hashem says if not I'm going to bring the world back to emptiness and nothingness the Mabul is exhibit A that because the, the world violated the precepts which Hashem taught and it came to such a point he destroyed the world he destroyed the world. And so seeing this bris, together with the bris of a more full covenant of Torah, together, you're absolutely right. Yes, it is. It is the same contingencies and the same connections. There's a, a, another beautiful pirush, another beautiful commentary on the Torah that we learn his words occasionally. It's called Aksava Kabola was written in the 19th century by a man who was known as Rav Hersch of Mecklenburg, uh, Germany. And he also has beautiful, beautiful interpretations. His focus on bris is, in fact, like the Ibn Ezra noted, which was, Beru lochem ish. It was the matter of bechira, the matter of choice, of choosing. And he writes about this at some length. He starts by saying, you know, all the commentaries wonder, where's this bris? Where's the bris? You're referring to upholding a bris. Where's the bris? Where was, where was that? And then he says on his third line that we have quoted here, In my opinion, the Pasuk is missing nothing. The bris is explained in this Pasuk itself. I'm doing with you something novel and astounding. And that is, that this relatively small teva, the teva was very large, but relative to what it was supposed to contain, it was not. 
as we mentioned from the Ramban, and he's going to quote from the Ramban, a fleet of Tevos wouldn't be able to hold all the living things in the world, two of each, plus food for them for a year. Listen to what the words mean. The root of the word bris is bara. Like the Ibn Ezra said, choose a man. Right, we find the same notion in Divayam, in Birurim, are people who were chosen. It's usually used for a choice based on the fact that this one has some superiority. The word Bechira, Bachur, means choice, ideal. Shaul Bechira Hashem, Israel Bechiri. Bimifchar Kivarenu, in the choice one of our grave places, etc., etc. And he goes on to bring other examples uh, is, uh, of this. And he says, when it speaks about a bris, it's because the person says, you know, to me, you are special, different, beyond everybody else. When you make a bris, as you establish a bal bris, eishes brisecha, you're saying, I have something special that I'm establishing with you a special relationship, a special feeling, special value that I have for you over anybody else. That's what you do when you create a relationship of this kind. It's choosing. Okay? So we have here two interpretations. One interpretation is, this is what my whole world is about. This is the Bria. You're my everything. And the other is, you're my chosen. I'm making you special. I'm establishing a specific connection with you over everybody else. Bris is a word for the Jewish people. What else is a word for the Jewish people? Amha Nivchar, the nation that was chosen. Right? Again, we're always self-conscious about that. We don't want to be arrogant about chosenness. But hey, every single time you stand up by a Torah, every morning when you're just opening your sitter and you make the bracha at the beginning of the day, what do you say? Asher bochar bonu mikolo amim Who chose us from all the nations and gave us his Torah. We're chosen. We're chosen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, the bris says, the Ibn Ezra says exactly the same thing. Berulachem is choose for yourself. Bris is, I'm choosing you. And again, it's implicit. It's known. But listen to an astounding thing that it says in the Gemara. The Gemara in Shabbos notes that the place where Hashem gave us the Torah had many names. Sinai, right? What else was its name? Chorev. Har Chorev. The mountain of Chorev. Right? The, uh, Rav Shamshin Rafael Hirsch wrote a book called Chorev. Right? His book of mitzvahs was the book, he, he called it Chorev, after Har Sinai. He has a whole beautiful explanation about the difference between Sinai and Chorev. But Rabbi Vo said, its regular name was Sinai. Why was it called Chorev? 
Because Chorev comes from the term Churban, destruction. What's a Cherev? A Cherev is a sword. What's a sword? It's a weapon of destruction. Right? A Cherev brings Churban. Everybody knows it's, the, it's Erev, you know, almost the nine days, the time of the Churban. Harchorev brought down Churva to the world. Harchorev? Sinai? Sinai is the purpose of the world. If not for Sinai, the world couldn't exist. And we're going to call it the mountain of destruction? It's the mountain of destruction for the nations of the world. Why? When Hashem chose them, chose us, excuse me, and He made us the center of the world, so there was some marginalization of the others within creation. I've shared with many of you before, Meiri Virabi, Rabbi Moshe Shapira, noted that the same letters that spell the word Bochar, chose, spell the word Chorav, destroyed. Because when you choose one, to some degree, you exclude. Choices are exclusive. Aren't they? Choices are exclusive. Can I pause for a second and share with you a vart, a thought which I think has a lot of truth to it? You can use it. Bezos Hashem. All of you should have the, the schus to use it. At the, uh, uh, and share it at a future time. What is it? There's a famous Chazal. The Chazal say that Kosha lezavgon kakrias yamsuf. It's as hard for Hashem to bring them together, to bring a couple together, like it was to split the sea. Now, what does that mean? It's hard to make shiduchim like it is to split the sea. Did it really take that many phone calls for Hashem to split the sea? Right, just kidding. Right, but you know, like, like the, 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 what does it mean that it was as hard as splitting the sea? And anyway, what's hard about splitting the sea? Uh, for you it's hard, for me it's hard. But for HaKadosh Baruch Hu? What's the difficulty with Hashem had a hard time splitting the sea? Come on, give me a break. So, you've heard this Chazal, because if you've been at three Sheva Brachas, you've heard six speeches about this Chazal. Everybody talks about it all the time. And there are all kinds of nice interpretations. I want to share with you an interpretation which I dare say might even be true. The true interpretation. Okay? Forgive me for saying it that way. Kriyas Yamsuf was hard for Hashem. Why? It wasn't hard to make a path in the sea. It says in Chazal that it was hard for Hashem. Hashem was crying at Kriyas Yamsuf. Why? Because Kriyas Yamsuf didn't just save the Jewish people. What else did it do? It drowned the Egyptians. Hashem chose one at the very dear expense of the other. Choosing Klal Yisrael, excluding the Egyptians. And by the way, it's even more radical than it is at at Harsinai. Because at Harsinai, the nations of the world live and they will forever have the ability, each individual member of the nation will forever have the ability to come and join the Jewish people and be welcomed with open arms. That's the notion of conversion. We never close the door completely. Never. 
But on the mitzvah, the door was closed. They were washed away. Hashem was upset at the angels that they were singing at a time like this. This is hard for me, said Hashem. So that's how you see how Kriyas Yamsuf was hard. Now you see why you say, Because you know when you make a marriage, what are you doing? You're establishing a special relationship with one person. Beautiful. But you understand that when you establish that special relationship, your relationship with everybody else changes. It must change. You're absolutely loyal to this person. And whenever there's going to be a choice between caring for this person and caring for somebody else, this person is going to come first. You're making a choice that's excluding. And that was the difficulty of Hashem at Kriyas Yamsuf. Of course he loved the Jewish people. Of course he was happy to take the Jewish people into his embrace. But there are broken hearts when that happens. You know, by the way, you stand at a chuppah, right? And the, the parents of the chas kala, they're crying. Why are they crying? So you also heard 10 speeches about why they're crying. And there are 10 reasons why they're crying. But I want to tell you one reason why they're crying. And you know what that is? Because from here on in, their relationship with their child is never going to be the same. It'll be wonderful, Bezu Sasha. But their child is now going to feel so much closer to that... Okay. To that guy, right? Or to that girl who I didn't know before. Right? What does the Ramban write? A man will leave his father and mother and attach himself to his wife. Says the Ramban, what does that mean? He knew his father and mother since the day he was born. He shares blood with his father and mother. And now he feels closer to this come lately. Like, what's going on over here? And that's part of why parents cry at a child's wedding. It's never going to be the same. A choice excludes. Bochar Chorav. In the Mabul, you see it. Hashem says, I'm making a bris. I'm making a choice, and that choice excludes. And by the way, could I say something to you that's going to blow your minds? Are you ready? Are you ready? You know what else the term boru means? It means to stab. It doesn't mean to choose. It means to stab. Just like bochar means cherev, Boru means to choose and to stab. Because there's collateral damage. My friends, you know that that's the root of anti-Semitism. Right? Noach said, Rashi says, I'm worried that the people are going to, the, 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 the other people, the Leitzanei Ador, or whatever they were referred to, excuse me, the Rishoyim Shabadar, they're going to kill me. Why? Because you're going into the Teva. We've been experiencing that for 3,000 years. 3,332 years. People resent that we're chosen. It's very understandable. Everybody resents the chosen. Now, 
We have to be the humble chosen. We have to understand we were chosen, not you're so great, therefore I'm choosing you. You're now the purpose of creation. The whole world is on your shoulders. How does that feel? It might be very exciting. It might be very, very wonderful to be famous and central and important and have such a big profile. But after a very short time, you start to realize that that comes with immense responsibility. And if instead of holding your nose up in the air, instead you lower your shoulder to to, to carry the responsibility, it's a different story. And that's how the Jewish people can perhaps, perhaps, perhaps use our chosenness in a way which wouldn't engender such hatred. Maybe, maybe. But this is all what this is about. It's getting late. It's getting late. Um, There's much more to say. Much more to say. I wish I would have a chance to read through with you the Sefer Hoikorim that's included here, where he explains the idea of bris as being two halves of a whole, which is very, very critical to the understanding of bris. We'll have to leave that for another time. But I do want to just conclude with one thing that I had the privilege to, uh, to uncover, actually once when I was learning with someone who was listening in here today, Parshas Noach, closely, and uh, found it subsequently in the Chazal, it's an astounding thing. I ask you to look back at paragraph Hay on your sheet. Paragraph Hay on your sheet references the bris of the rainbow. Right? That's where the bris of the rainbow is done. And if you look at it closely, you'll see that the word bris is repeated over and over and over again. It's kind of strange. It's like it's repetitive. It's a real task to try to figure out why does it keep saying it? Why does it keep saying it? Until you pause and you realize, hey, one second, count them. Go ahead, count them. How many times does it say bris? Seven times. Perek tes, posuk ches, to posuk yudzayin. A total of ten verses, seven times the word bris. What's the significance of that? So let me note to you. Let me note to you that there's another place where it says bris, you all know, at the end of Parshas Lech Lecha. And there it also repeats the word bris over and over and over again. You know how many times? Thirteen times. It makes it, there's a mission in the Dorim which says bris is so significant, bris milah, Hashem made thirteen covenants over it because it says thirteen times bris. Thirteen is a very significant number for the choosing of the Jewish people. Why? We're a goy echad. We're a single nation. You know what the gematria of the word echad is? 13. 1 plus 8 plus 4, Aleph Ches Dalet, is 13. There's lots of significance to 13. By the way, 13 is half of 26. What's 26? The name of Hashem. Right? When we're 13, in a sense, a bris, remember, what does the Ikrim say? You're, I'm saying you're my other half. 
you're my other half. So it's beautiful. Hashem is one, and the Jewish people. Hashem is one, we are one, 13, 13, together we make the whole. But listen here, what's the significance of the number seven? Seven is not the number of the bris between Chal Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Seven is the number of creation. The seven days of Bereshus. And so writes the Psikta Zutrasi. Sheva brisais nemru beparsha keneged shivas yomim shanayeg bemhailam. Seven times it says bris corresponding to the seven days of creation. The world was what this bris was about. Hashem was telling Nayach, you are the world. In Nayach's case, it literally excluded everybody else. Everybody else was destroyed. In the Jewish people's case, everybody else was not destroyed. But the Jewish people were chosen as the one, the center of the world. The one who has a task to make the whole world worthwhile. To make the whole world fulfill its purpose. There were also seven colors in the rainbow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Seven colors in the rainbow. Beautiful. So that's it. This is bris. And this is bria. What it's all about. Think about it. In our relationship with Hashem. Think about it in the relationships of bris which you create. You're a creator too. Every one of us is a creator. And when we create a relationship that's going to be a foundational, basic relationship, that's our partner in what we're going to create in the world. And it's a Bechira, yes. And with that creation, that partnership, there's an exclusivity to that partnership that invests everything in that relationship. It's big stuff. And it's meaningful. And when we think about it in our own worlds that we create and we think about it in the role which we occupy relative to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's all very, very, very impactful, very significant. So that's the bris which Hashem is establishing here with Noach. Yetz Hashem, we will continue next time a little further. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Rabbi. You're welcome. You're welcome.